Well, good morning. My name is Hang. I'm the worship pastor here at Fairfax Bible Church, and we're so glad you're here. And if you're visiting us for the first time, we especially like to welcome you. And if you're listening online, tuning in the podcast, thank you for tuning in. And uh, today I want to preach on the topic of worship. It's going to be a topical worship, a topical sermon. Part three of the book called Worship Matter by Pastor Bob Coughlin. He talks about nine healthy tensions in worship. These tensions are seemingly, seemingly opposite ideas from each other, but when you dig deep into God's word, they're not contradictory. In fact, they are healthy tension that can give us a fuller appreciation and understanding of who God is and how we can worship Him better, right? So as we, and when we think about with the word tension, we think that it's a bad thing. We avoid it, right? But not all tensions are bad, right? Like think about your marriage. If both of the spouses are spenders, then you'll be broke, <laughs> right? So if you are the saver in the, in, the, in, the, in the marriage, raise your hand real quick. We just want to thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Right? But if both of the couples are what? Uh, um, um, a saver then it's kind of not so fun, right? So you need both. Thank you, Spender. All right. Um, let me give you another example, right? Um, somebody gave us a ping pong table not too long ago in Texas. Love that. That's our garage. So beautiful. So beautiful. And, um, and, and, and quickly, I realized that in order to play ping pong with children, you have to loosen the tension and lower the net. Why? So that you don't have to pick up the ball, yeah? Because I'm an old man, right? But if you want to play like ten, uh, ping pong like Forrest Gump, remember Forrest Gump? You have to what? Tighten up the net, right? Tighten up the net so that you have a nice tension. Similarly, worship requires healthy tension in order for us to appreciate all that God is to us. One church prefers hymns, another prefers contemporary worship, the problem is that we will end up making idols out of our personal preferences, right? Our likes and dislikes will become our gods. And that's not biblical worship at all. We end up worshiping ourselves, right? So our goal today is not about finding balances, balance in all of these issues, but rather to enjoy all that God has for us as we worship Him the way He desires as we worship him the way that he described in the Bible, right? So let's look at uh, one set of worship tension this morning together. We'll be using different passages, and many of these verses are on, on the screen, so you can follow that. So the vertical and horizontal elements of worship. What are the vertical elements of worship? Worship is about God from the beginning to the end. So what do what does worship look like from the very beginning before creation? Love this psalm. Psalm 90, 90 verse 2 said this, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you ever formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I love the message translation. He said, Long before you brought earth itself to birth, from once upon a time to kingdom come, you are God. From this passage, we can say that God exists before the creation of the universe, right? He's not bound by space or time, 
Why? Because he's the guy that created time and space. Amen? And also from this passage, we learn that God eternally exists three person. Uh, God is Trinity. Trinity means three in one. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one God. But the Trinity live in perfect harmony, peace, community with one another before the creation of the world. Here's a pop quiz for you. I got this from Ryan, right? He loves pop quiz. Here's a pop quiz. Give you away. What gives God's greatest joy and satisfaction before creation? A, is it our songs? B, our obedience? Or C, our prayers? No, none of the above. That was a trick question. Ooh, <laughs> you almost fell, guys. You almost fell. I'm going to say, B, no, not B, none of the above. Because we weren't created at this point. Remember? So what gives God the greatest joy before creation? God himself is satisfied and happy and complete within the Trinity. And out of that love and joy and fellowship, he created the universe. He created us. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And he's a happy God. Turn to your neighbor and say, happy God. Happy God. Acts 17, 24, 25 said this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is the creator. God is a sustainer. He's the only true, independent, self-sufficient being in the whole world. Everything else is dependent upon him. My three years old, I can do it. No, I got it. He want to be independent. He's not. He's going to die the moment I took my eyes off him. The car go, whoop, bye-bye. He is so dependent upon his parents, dependent upon God himself, right? Even as we serve and give, set up and tear down, volunteer in children, guest experience, preaching, worship, whatever, we give by receiving a grace that he first gave us. I love this verse, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. It's not on the screen. He said, we love because what? He first loved us. We give, guess what? Because he first gave to us. We serve because what? He first served us. We can't give God anything he didn't already have. But the good news is that he does not need us to worship him, but he wants us. He invites us to worship him, and that is the good news. So fast forward to the end of time, right? What will be the focus of our worship in heaven? Pop quiz number two. Here we go. Is it A, our songs, B, our obedience, or C, our prayer? <laughs> Thank you. It is. You're, you're awake and you're alive. Again, no, it is none of the above. It is God himself. God is satisfied and complete within, within the Trinity. I love Revelation. A lot of things I don't understand. There's something that I do and I appreciate God for it. Revelation 4a said this, Holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
in heaven, we won't be singing a song about how amazing we are. It will be a song about how amazing God is, that He's holy, that He's glorious, that He's beautiful, that He's wonderful, that He's powerful. I love this passage in uh, chapter 7 of Revelation. It gave us this, um, this family pictures. I love pictures. I love family pictures, right? After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You see yourself there? You see Fairfax Bible Church? Clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice. This is where I need your help. Let's cry it out with a loud voice to read this together. Ready? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The nations gather around the throne to worship, to glorify, to give thanks to the Son of God. The focus of worship is on God from Genesis to Revelation and even before creation. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Let me show you one more passage in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul said, Even as we chose us, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as Son through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Christ, God planted our adoption way before He created the star, the moons, the trees, the bees, and the fishes, and all the QC animals, way before that which we studied about last week. Why? What for? Why did He choose us and adopt us in His Son? Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. The goal of our adoption and salvation is praise and worship. Quick review. Worship before creation is about God. Worship in heaven for eternity is about God. The goal of our adoption is praise and worship unto God. God does not need us to worship Him because of His insufficiency. We need to worship God in order for us to be complete. And the good news is that He invites us to worship Him as we respond to His greatness and His love. So what is biblical worship? It's really simple. Is this. Worship is God's gift of grace to us before it is our offering to God. It is His grace to us before we bring a little songs, a little thing to Him. Worship is our response to who God is and all that He has done for us. Amen? When Gruen put it this way, worship is the activity of glorifying God in His presence with our voices and hearts. In this definition, we see that worship is an act of glorifying God, yet all of life is supposed to glorify God not just singing on Sunday on your small group, but all of life. I love what Paul said this. 
เราพอพอเซนโรมันส์ชอปเทอร์เอ่อเวอร์ซ์วันอินคริสต์เยซูสเวอร์วีคันนาวออฟเฟอร์อะบอดี้แอสลิฟวิ่งซักรีฟิส
I said, you know what? I'm good. I'm older. I'm married. I have kids. I'm all right. <laughs> but this jaw is to bring glory to God. <laughs> it took me a long time to accept that jaw, by the way. It's not funny. <laughs> kind of. You are the way you are this morning with your giftedness and talents and imperfection, a pimple here maybe, shortness, bigness, tosh, is all for the glory of God. It is not for you. It is for Him. Amen? And so He created us because He takes pleasure in us. Love this passage in James. Love, love this. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend to the, of the world, make himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he had, has made to dwell in us? God, God is jealous over your soul. He's a jealous lover. He yearned for you. And so therefore, James said, do not be friend. Do not be like the world. Be friend with me. I will take care of you. I'm going to hook you up. Befriend me. God is a jealous lover. Love this. Isaiah. Isaiah reminded the people of the Lord in Isaiah 62, verse 3 to 5. You shall be a crown of beauty in the land of the Lord. You shall be called my delight. My delight. You are God's delight. For the Lord delights in you as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride. So shall your God rejoice over you. I did a wedding not too long ago, Huntsville, Alabama. Beautiful. And uh, I look over to the right, and I saw the groom sweating like a pig. I said, dang, he's making a mistake. Look at him. He's sweating. <laughs> he's sweating not because he didn't want to marry this girl. He's sweating because it was an outdoor service, and the preacher was a bit long. And, um, <laughs> but I, when I look at his face, he couldn't hardly wait to marry this girl. He was just so excited. He couldn't wait. In the same way, the Lord is portrayed as a bridegroom in this passage, rejoicing over his bride, right? And Jesus is the ultimate bridegroom. And the church is his bride. You and me, we are Jesus' bride. And before you sing your little song to him, before you bring your offering and your gift at the cross, just imagine Jesus gone on his one knee and say to you, before you make your vows to me, before you say, I do, Jesus said, I give you my heart. I give you everything that I have. With everything that I have, with everything that I am, I give to you. I love you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Even when you forsake me and when you are unfaithful to me, I'm committed to you. Before we make our vows and commitment to him. What is the condition of God's heart when we worship Him? He's bursting with joy and excitement and with love. Love delights for you before you lift a finger, before you sing a song, before you put your little offering in the little bag. You think that's intense? Let's take a look at this next verse. Let's get better. Zephaniah 3.17, you know this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. 
He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Before you sing to Him, He triumphs over you with loud singing, welcoming you. This is where I use my imagination. God spoke, creation came to be, star popping out, trees, fish. What happened when he sings? Is he soprano? Is he alto? Is he tenor? Is he bass? Who cares? <laughs> He's singing. God rejoices over you. When you feel like you can't sing, you can't go to church, you can't love, you can't read your Bible, you can't pray, I think what we can do is to pause and just stop and just meditate on how much He loves you, how much He's delight in you, right? Meditating, thinking about our lack of love, our inability to love and commit to God will not make us love God more, Right? But meditating, thinking about how much God loves us when we can't love God, that will melt your cold heart. That will melt my cold heart. A lot of time in my journal entries, the prayer begins like this. God, I don't feel like praying. Or worse, God, I love to sin. Yes, I say that. Sin is fun. It's pleasurable. The world is fun. Your word sometimes come out as boring. But I know if I go on this way, live my life in such a way, I will die. I will be so miserable. Would you pour your love into my life? Would you let me be aware of your love for me? Because I got nothing for you this morning. I got nothing to give you. I don't want to go to small group. People, bleh. <laughs> Church, ah. I want to crawl up in my bed and sleep and watch Netflix. But when you don't feel like praying and worshiping, precisely at that moment, He's inviting you to pray. You do not fix yourself and make yourself holy and perfect and loving and good. And then you go and worship God. Do not do that. In your very true self, just, just be honest. And God's love, God's grace, God's delight will pour into your cold heart and melt it like an iceberg. So do not try to conjure up love for God when you don't have any. Just be honest, come broken, and He will satisfy you. Amen? What is the condition of God's heart when we worship Him? He's bursting with joy and excitement over you because He loves you. He loves you unconditionally. Chesed love. He cannot love you anymore. He cannot love you any less. He loves you when you are in your worst moment, and He loves you the same in your best moment. Because His love for you is not based on your performances, your achievement. His love for you is based on who He is. Get that into your mind. Get that into your heart. I struggle with that still.